Oh yeah, that really got it that time. That was That's good. A good clap. That's one of the best claps this season, actually. Well, well, nice work, Ian. I appreciate that. It's because I gave him a practice one. Yeah, got, got the hands warmed up now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my formation. That the first one. <laughs> oh no. Let's dive straight into this. Uh, we're, of course, back once again with the GP Fan Stuart Room podcast. Myself, Ollie Wilson, joined by, as I said earlier today, the brain trust of Formula One, Mr. Ian Parks, GP Fan's global editor-in-chief. Ian, lovely to speak to you after the uh, the summer break. Did you did you get away? Did you do much with the break? Obviously, nothing really happened before the Belgian Grand Prix. Yes, mate, glad to say, uh, and hello, by the way, and hello to everybody listening. Glad to say managed to get a lovely couple of weeks away in France with the family. Uh, so back now, recharged, although brain baffled by exactly what took place at the Belgian Grand Prix yesterday, as I'm sure many people are. Yeah, I mean, I'm still confused. We've spoken about it off the podcast, and I've heard you guys talking about it, and I'm still confused. One of the other voices that we will be having today, of course, Mr. Sam Hall, Deputy Editor. Sam, gallivanting around Europe like Ian during the break, or knuckling down and working out who's going to be filling the second seat at Mercedes? No, um, just a couple of days spent at home, nice and relaxed, actually, um, and then back to the grind, and uh, back to what happened this weekend, whatever we want to call that. We'll get into that later. The disappointment in the drizzle, we could call the Belgian Grand Prix. You and Gail, uh, as a Welshman, you know all about uh, that watery life, shall we say. But you've uh, you've gone to the most exotic of places during the break. Uh, a little trip up to Derby. Unbelievable gallivanting around the place. Yeah, just north of Derby to Bakewell so I could eat loads of tart and <laughs> fill up in the, in the summer break. So uh, refueled nicely for the uh, second half of the season. Well, let's and excuse we can see the that you picked up a lovely coloured shirt. Sorry to interrupt there, Ali, but we've got to mention this. I don't know whether <laughs> uh, Ewan has picked up this uh, wonderfully coloured shirt that people, and we appreciate, can't quite see right now but in Derby, but he's clearly got something on today that really does <laughs> beg it to be believed, to be honest with we you. We needed some summer after what happened over the weekend, so I thought I'll get this nice, it's, it's red for people who can't see it. It's red with a load of plants over it, basically. It's very summery. It's horrendous. It is absolutely horrendous as a shirt. I'm very glad that you're wearing it inside and not out in public, but screenshots of the Zoom call will be available on Twitter so people can see it. Do not worry. Look, let's get into gear and let's talk about the the lack of action that we had on Sunday at Spa because, and I think we should start with Ian as uh, the leader of the gang, so to speak. I'm still trying to work out what exactly happened with the number of laps. We've been talking about it off pod. But we did technically have a race, according to the FIA. We did have half points handed out. So shouldn't we just be putting this matter all to bed? What happened happened. The heavens opened. There was a four-hour rain delay. There's nothing that Formula One can do about that. Job done. Let's just move on to Zamfort and get on with the Dutch Grand Prix coming up this weekend, right? The race that wasn't a race, basically. (laughs) It Uh, is a race. It's technically a race. It wasn't. That was not a race. That in, in no way can you describe that as a race. Two laps behind the safety car is not a race. But somehow, uh, F1 and the FIA determined that it is a race. And therefore, uh, under the regulations, two laps were completed, uh, even though they were behind the safety car, both of those laps, and therefore half points were awarded. But 
the confusion that reigned throughout that rain delay uh, is something that even the teams, you only had to listen to the messages that were being relayed between the team managers on the pit wall and FIA race director Michael Massey to appreciate that the level of um, misunderstanding uh, and confusion that was going on at the time because even they weren't quite sure. Martin Brundle, um, for those that were were listening to Sky and those that weren't listening, Martin Brundle, um, experienced Formula One driver, now a ex- highly experienced co-commentator, even he could not fathom out what was going on on occasion, in particular the number of laps that had actually taken place. And it has now left uh, F1 and the FIA um, planning to, from what I've just discovered uh, this afternoon on a Monday afternoon, uh, that talks will take place between themselves and with the teams in a bid to ensure that there is no repeat of what we actually saw um, across uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, uh, further talks are planned as well with the promoters of the Belgian Grand Prix uh, because obviously one of the big criticisms that came out was the fact that fans, uh, that Formula One under its current watch has put at its heart those fans were uh, left drenched, cold, walking away from a very, very gloomy Belgian afternoon with nothing to see other than what proved to be four laps in total behind the safety car if you conclude the two formation laps. So from what I understand at the moment, there are talks ongoing uh, and hopefully uh, those fans will be recompensed in some way. Maybe not the full amount, uh, but at least they might get something back. We'll have to wait and see. Um, as I say, those discussions taking place at the moment, fingers crossed on their behalf that something is done because something most definitely needs to be done. Uh, F1 was, um, let's, let's put it this way, F1 took a backward step yesterday compared to the enormous strides that it has made over the years uh, under Liberty's reign. So, as I say, fingers crossed in that regard. When it comes to this Belgian Grand Prix, I, I just want to play devil's advocate because I, I certainly think the fans should get money back because they haven't been able to see the race that they paid to go and see. I think they should. However, isn't there something to say that this is an unfortunate incident for Formula One just in general because they don't have anything in place in their legislations for an event like this, which maybe is naivety because we've seen rain delays in the past previously. But because we've got a triple header with a Grand Prix coming up this weekend and the the season is so jam-packed and congested at times, because the elements are completely out of Formula One's control. In general, is this just hard luck, though, on Formula One? I know there was a lack of organisation at times and we're unsure about the number of laps at certain moments yesterday that had taken place behind the safety car, whether the race had started or not. We'll talk about, of course, the Perez situation as well that was probably more interesting than anything else yesterday. But... This is just unlucky. This is the elements taking control and Formula One has been bitten in a section perhaps of the guidelines that they just weren't prepared for. And in that case, the fans, they should get recompense for being sat out there in the cold, in the wet, but they're not necessarily entitled to it because it's just an act of God. It's out of everybody's hands at this point. I know that sounds incredibly harsh and I'm not making any friends with that statement at all. Well, what what Formula One will say, and 
whether you agree with it or not, is there has technically been a race. We don't think there's been a race. We don't agree with that definition. And Zach Brown has said that needs to be looked at because there's no way that anyone can look at that and call it a race, as Ian quite rightly says. Um, I agree. Something needs to be done for the fans because they can't be sitting out there waiting for Formula 1. Yes, they've had the Porsche Super Cup. Yes, they had the F3 on on Sunday morning. They had W Series on Saturday. But, I mean, they're there for the Formula 1. They wouldn't get that many fans in the stands for F3. It's like if you're at a gig, you don't go to see the support act necessarily. You go to see the headline act. And if you don't see them, you want your money back. Um, so, quite rightly, I think F1 should do something. Whether or not they will do, Stefano Domenicali seems pretty set that they're not going to do anything. That it's the promoter's job if they are going to do anything. Um, so, essentially, the circuit. Um, but it's it's just such a confusing situation, isn't it? We don't know how many laps were technically done, or no one seemed to know how many were done at the time. Um or how many were to go. Um, the clock started and then didn't start. And it's, it's just a mess. Formula 1 really needs to sort this out. Because they cannot have this happen again. It's like Indianapolis in 2005. Where half the or three quarters of the field couldn't race. That wasn't the weather that time granted. But they, they didn't find a solution then. They had all the opportunity to find a solution. They knew the weather coming in for this weekend. Why did they not move the race, which is within their power to do, to the morning when the forecast was better? There's all these things F1 could have done, but they didn't. Um, it's it's just a mess, and Formula 1 hopefully will recover from it. The big problem for me was that, obviously, we were confused sitting you know, with the full commentary, um, as people would have at home, yet the people who were soaked to the core at the track would have had half of that information over the circuit tannoy and most likely through three or four different languages as well. So you're not getting the breadth of the information that we would have been getting or anyone around the world would have been getting um, through the TV. So, you know, the overall fan experience wasn't good. And then I think, you know, what you said, Ollie, just there, I could get on board with a little bit more if they hadn't run those Mickey Mouse laps at the end. I think the fact that they did that was just a little bit of a step too far and made a bit of a mockery of the situation. Because actually, okay, there was a lot of confusion, but there was a lot of things that fell outside stuff that had ever happened before. You think about Sergio Perez's crash before the race, for example, and whether he was allowed to take part or not. Um, A bit of confusion, but actually I thought the race direction had done a decent job. Not the best job, not the worst job, a decent job considering... The situation and it just got marred a little bit at the end by what happened with those two laps yeah those seemed like rubbing salt into an open wound of the of the fans that were there at the track because like oh no look see we it's a race classification now you've paid your money and you've had this and this is what you're going to get is just two steady laps behind a safety car i i think i think that an element of it to me always has to be look you pay your ticket price for an for something like formula one that is weather dependent and if it doesn't happen, if it does happen that weather interferes, that's just something that we have to accept at certain points. Um, but I think Formula One will do the right thing eventually, uh, or maybe some of the drivers will, to be honest, and reimburse it. You have to think as well, though. Surely the track, Spa, Frankenstein, they need that 
gate money as well to be able to operate. Like it's a it's a big loss for them if they hand back money to all the ticket sales. It's a big loss, especially given the damages they had earlier this year with the mudslides and the flooding. Severe damage caused to the circuit and the facilities, and that they need this gate money. Uh, make two, there's no two ways about it. Um, but as you said, so it seemed like rubbing salt in the wound doing these two laps. For me, the salt in the wound was actually the podium ceremony. Mm. Because yes, everyone was pleased to see George Russell, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. But everyone was pleased to see George Russell on the podium. But to be celebrating and spraying the sparkling wine, so it's... It it didn't seem right to me. It just didn't sit sit right at all. Yeah, that was uh, that was peculiar. We we will come on to come on to that and uh, and obviously Saturday's qualifying and, and we need to talk about Rouge as well. But lastly, just in terms of Sunday, should they have actually raced? Should it, should they have started behind a safety car initially? Uh, is there a point of because we've seen wetter races in the past that have gone through? and done at least like 50% of the laps before being stopped. Should the drivers have been asked to go out there and be the best drivers in the world and handle conditions? No. No? Quite simply, no, because it's it's Spa. Um, if that had been flat circuit, loads of runoff in many places, um, then arguably you could have suggested, yeah, give it a go. But in this case, it's Spa. And you don't roll the dice on a circuit like Spa and Temp Fate in many respects. We've we've seen it happen at Spa you know, too many too many times now in recent in recent memory. Um, of course, Antoine Hubert two years ago in the F2 race, uh, Jack Aitken most recently in the Spa 24 Hours, and then three incidents over the weekend itself, uh, W Series, uh, F3, and then most notably in the wet. Uh, Lando Norris at the in the final in the final part of qualifying that will have rung huge bells. Uh, you would assume within FIA race control as to them saying, "No, nah, we're not we're not going to do this." I mean, that was one guy on track as well, Lando. We're talking about twenty cars going round that circuit, going through Eau Rouge up towards Radio in those conditions, and a lot of the time, those guys being racers. There would have been racing. Who knows what might have happened? You just don't tempt fate with something like that on this occasion. And I think the absolute right call was made not to go racing. Yes, you're right, Ali. Uh, it has been mentioned as well by other drivers. Those guys have raced in worse conditions, but not at a circuit like Spa. And most certainly, given the recent incidents as well that we've had over the years, uh, it would have just been imagine what what we could be talking about right now if they had a race and there had been an incident right now we're talking about fans being reimbursed and lesser things shall we say it could have been far far worse thank god it isn't that we're sitting here right now talking about something different i mean drivers used to race without seat belts and we don't sit here and go oh well they used to race without seat belts why don't they race without seat belts now it's exactly the same thing you know safety is paramount and it was the visibility as well. That was that was the main thing for me. Yes, the standing water is one issue, um, but it's the visibility. You go flying up, um, up through Eau Rouge into Radion. You you end a wall of spray going onto the Camel Straight. You don't know if someone's speared left or right into the barrier. Um, yes, we've seen Kimi Raikkonen before 
go into a plume of smoke and keep it pinned. Any driver worth their salt is still going to keep it pinned. If they're in green flag conditions, they know that the race director is telling them it's safe to race. So they're going to race. They, they need to be saved from themselves in these scenarios. And I think I agree with Ian and you. And if the green flag had been shown, the safety car pulled in, I think we would have seen something very, very nasty. And the key thing now, of course, well, Ollie, is that compared to previous races in, in the wet, if you go back five, ten years, we now have onboards. And we can we get a view, to some degree, of what the drivers are seeing. And if those drivers can't even see the red light on the car in front that's about 10 metres away mm. because of all the spray, jeez. I mean, Martin Brundle really summed it up for me really well yesterday. If you can imagine, if you've ever been on the motorway, and it's been teeming down a rain, and you're going past uh, a truck uh, in the outside lane, all you see is a wall of spray, and you've got the windscreen wipers going to try and clear it, but even the windscreen wipers on fast speed cannot clear it enough for you to have a clear view, yet you're still going at 70 miles an hour. These guys are going 200 miles an hour without windscreen wipers, and into, uh, into blind areas of tracks that they just do not know, as Sam has pointed out, what's directly ahead of them. So, yeah, definitely the right call made on the, in this case by, by the FIA. Yeah, and what's, what Sam and Ian said, sorry, Sam, what Sam and Ian said about, you know, what the drivers were doing, keeping it pinned in green flag conditions, we saw that on Saturday. You know, actually, probably when Norris had his crash, the track conditions from what the driver said were probably worse than they were at the start of the, the, start of the race. Um, on Sunday... But because it was green flag, even though they said that they were aquaplaning, even though they said it should be a red flag, it was a green flag, they went on to do a lap. Because they're racing drivers, that's what they do. And as Sam rightly said, they've got to be safe for themselves sometimes. That's interesting though, Ewan, in that he... I guess, does, could F1 look at a broader spectrum of providing cars? Because these cars obviously are designed to be driven at flat out. That's when they actually turn best because of things like downforce and 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 the stickiness of the uh, of the slicks for instance that gives them the grip to go fast through these corners and, and put up incredible lap times but is there a point of maybe formula one needs to look at having car restrictions of a of a certain kind and we've got the big new restrictions coming in in 2022 that can adapt to wetter conditions and deal with these sorts of conditions because this isn't the first time and it won't be the last time that we have conditions like this and there could be other events down the road where either it's too dangerous or we just end up because the wet weather robbed of a race completely like we had this weekend and the drivers want to go flat out but and if and if they don't go flat out the cars really underperform in in the cornering so do we have to look at maybe formula one finds a way to adapt their regulations to deal with these sorts of conditions as well i don't think so because you've got yeah i mean racing in the wet is always going to be treacherous dangerous tricky it's going to up the danger exponentially it's just the nature of racing in the wet but if you change more of formula one then you change the cars specifically to be in the wet you might as well go touring car racing or gt racing yeah. those cars work so much better in the wet because they're less downforce reliant um, it's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Fair. The one thing I would say is that I can't remember a race where we've had more than four or five laps on the extreme wet tyre. Because a lot of the time now, if it's wet enough for that tyre, it's wet enough for the safety car to come out because the visibility is not good enough. So uh, that might be something that they look at. The problem is, is I can't see what they can do without adding another compound of tyre. So they can't make the wet tyre more suitable for really wet conditions. 
without then having to broaden the working range of the intermediate tire and you can't do that with just one set of tire you have to bring in like a another intermediate tire as well as the three you've already got so i i can't see anything changing Right, let's uh, let's move away from that. Let's talk about some of the action that we did have on track. Uh, let's talk about something we were alluding to a moment ago. Lando Norris's big impact on Saturday. Uh, we also saw the the horrendous crash earlier in the weekend as well in the W Series, which thankfully every single driver came away from. But but Eau Rouge in difficult conditions and going up into uh, Radillon is so treacherous. Is this weekend going to raise any? question marks about whether the spa needs to adapt that track there was particularly a lot of talk about lando norris the most worrying thing about that section of the track is that if you go into the barriers it sends you straight back across the track again which on a busy race day could be absolutely calamitous um, as we saw in fact in the w series so are is is the track spa going to potentially in the near future lose what is one of the most iconic sections of track in formula one it won't lose that section of track per se, given the, the compression through Eau Rouge heading up the hill towards Radio. What it is planning is to improve the safety around those two areas. So Eau Rouge now, they're, they're planning to push the grandstand back. Uh, they're planning to push the barrier back because, as you rightly pointed out there, Ollie, Anybody heading up Eau Rouge and hits that barrier on the left-hand side, they immediately spring back off it, as we saw with Lando Norris um, adequately demonstrated and unfortunately demonstrated on Saturday in qualifying. He hit that barrier on the left-hand side and he immediately just pirouetted round half a dozen times back across the track. If there had been another car behind him, then we know what the potential was that could have happened there. Yeah. And at Radion, again... They're planning to uh, improve that area by now, again, pushing the barrier further back, but also now adding in gravel traps as well. So it's all part of 80 million euro safety improvements that are due to be carried out uh, this winter. Weather permitting, good luck with that, bearing in mind what we saw across the weekend. But apparently they're all planning to be in place and it's all um, part of the plans as well, primarily to attract uh, MotoGP uh for next year these safety improvements but of course the knock-on effect is for cars as well that those safety improvements will play its part so this time next year we'll have had a belgian grand prix at a slightly different eau rouge ready on complex but the the track itself will remain unaltered and there will still be that challenge in inverted commas because it obviously has become less of a one over the years given the improvements in the cars uh, but it will still be there but with improved safety. So hopefully that will help matters going forwards if there is ever an incident again in the future. Doing that section of track on two wheels. That is, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. Four wheels look scary enough Two, I'm not having that. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll stick in a commentary booth somewhere safely in London, I think. Um, yeah, it was interesting on the, on the GP fans, uh, Dutch website, there was a, there was a fan vote. 71% of the fans said they wouldn't want to change anything about that section of track in terms of the, the actual track itself rather than the safety improvements. And it is such a beloved part of Formula One history, I think, that uh, that section of Spa and is one of the things that makes Spa such a wonderful track. Elsewhere on Saturday, when we actually had some racing on the weekend, uh, I'm going to throw this one up to Sam because he's wearing all the paraphernalia. Uh, he looks like he's part of the pit crew. He's in his Williams Martini racing gear. George Russell, what a performance that is. 
Yeah, George, if he wasn't secure in Mercedes next year, he should 100% be now. Um, Toto Wolff has intimated that a decision has been made, although on Sunday he said, yes, I've made a deci- or I've made my decision, but that's not to say that everyone else involved in the decision has made their decision. Um, so sort of casting doubt on things there. But um, no, George, to get P2, even in those conditions, in a Williams that has no right to be there at all, that's you've just got to stand up and applaud that. Um, I mean, it's it's argue or not even arguably, it's definitely his best lap of his Formula One career. Um, to to do well in the Mercedes and his one-off cameo with them was brilliant. This is just another level. Um, I don't think if the race had have taken place that he would have stayed there for one minute. Um, but no, um, Lando Norris as well, just unlucky with his crash because he could have been on pole. We could have been looking at two British drivers, oddly, neither of whom would have been Lewis Hamilton, in the top three on the grid, um, which would have been brilliant to see. And they are both potential champions moving forward, I think. And it was a team effort, wasn't it? Sorry, Ian, but it was the team as well rather than George in terms of they made correct decisions throughout Saturday's qualifying that put him in that position as well when the uh, the tyre selection going on the intermediate straight off the bat, for instance. Yeah, Nicholas Satifi was fast as well and he was only a few tenths off Q3. Uh, it, it just shows how good Williams were. They had every single decision right and it goes back to the old saying it's, it's not necessarily... Now, how fast you are, it's just being on the right tyre in those conditions. They were the only team on the Inters at the start of qualifying. That really got them through Q1 with both cars. Like I said, Latifi, what was he, 12th in qualifying that? He got promoted into the top uh, 10 then through the grid penalties and Perez's crash. So that's a double points finish again for the team um, at the end of it all. But um, obviously, Russell really extracted the best out of it, but... Yeah, in those conditions and you know having to get the setup completely right, it is a massive team effort, and that's actually shown a little bit by where Bottas ended up at Mercedes, where they put a setup on his car in order to try and drag him through from his grid penalty. When actually, really, a wet setup was probably the way to go. Uh, he lost downforce in the middle sector. He lost time. He ended up eighth. Russell and Williams called it absolutely perfectly, and he ended up second. I did enjoy at the beginning of Q1 when everyone went out on the wet tyres, both Williams cars on the intermediates, and were five seconds quicker than anyone else. Mm. I mean, if that didn't indicate there and then they had made the right call, as evidently everyone else pitted for the intermediate tyres straight after. Um, I mean, that that was stunning call from Williams that arguably set up their weekend. And then conversely in Q3 as well there, Sam, because if you think after the Lando Norris crash, uh, when the conditions, the, the rain had eased again, um, the, all the drivers went out on inters, but uh, George went out on full wets. And they did that just to basically give him a side to lap and to build up his confidence with regard to the track conditions. And then they called him in onto the inters that ensured then he got the one warm-up lap shall we say and then the one fast lap whereas the other guys were still going around on their inters so that one fast lap at the tyres that one fast lap on the inters when the tyres were at their optimum managed to get him almost onto pole position I was 
I was I gotta say, I'm British, what the heck? I was cheering. I was I was really disappointed when Max Verstappen crossed the line ahead of him. I got I know all the Dutch fans might some Dutch fans might be listening, but you know, uh, that would have just been epic if George had been on pole position. Bloody hell, that was uh, quite something, yeah. Williams really did pull it off. And just a final word on, on George's situation. Um everything that I've uh, I've listened to over the weekend, uh it is abundantly obvious to me that George has that seat next year at Mercedes. What is happening is in the background is that Toto is trying to line up something for Valtteri and what he wants to do uh, and what the team wants to do is make an announcement all in one. So they don't want, yeah, George has got the seat for 22 and then Valtteri's going to get all these questions about what are you going to do now, Valtteri, etc., etc. What are your plans? Are you looking outside F1? He's obviously faced a little bit of that because people don't know what exactly his plans are. But that they want to get the whole package sorted before they then make this this announcement with regard to both drivers as to where their futures are. On driver transfers, I really think Red Bull have played a blinder here with Sergio Perez obviously announced as a 22 driver for next year. Um because Perez now knows exactly where he is. Bottas might know where he is already or what his ideal plans are. But Perez knows he's safe and he will be willing to play the team game alongside Max. So Max 100% has a rear gunner in the championship battle. If We've seen Valtteri before. He's willing to play the team game with Lewis. But if he's not a Mercedes driver next year, depending on where he gets placed or what his plans are for next year, Will he be willing to play the team game? And this is something Toto Wolf has really got to balance and find the perfect mix for because the last thing he wants is Lewis to have someone that maybe doesn't give him the toe in qualifying or doesn't allow him past so easily as we've seen Valtteri do before. Um, It's going to be an intriguing watch, um, especially after the announcements have been made. I was just thinking Sergio Perez announced that he gets his drive for next year and then puts his car into the wall before the race even starts. I mean, not, that's not the exclamation point on signing the new contract that I think the uh, the Mexican driver wanted to have. Um, are there any other thoughts about the Belgian Grand Prix, gentlemen? I did say on Twitter that I was going to ask you how many cups of tea were made. Uh, have you got a rough estimate of how many you made in the four-hour rain delay? I really enjoy a Formula One rain delay. I remember one of my fondest sporting memories is watching that one in Canada before Button had the spin-off. Uh, they... They do fill the time really well, even if it's just the driver interviews midway through the delay and stuff like that. Daniel Ricciardo provides plenty of entertainment. But yeah, how many cups of tea, roughly, do you think you boys had? Just just a quick question to you, Ollie. Did you actually sit there and watch it all? Yeah. Yeah, I was... Wow. I was sat... I, sad. Went, I went into work early um, because I was working elsewhere that evening so I could watch the race. And when it was rain delayed, I was at work with nothing else to do except to sit and watch it. So I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> we have to sit there and watch it because we got to write about it. You know, if, if if I if I'd got the Sunday off, I would not be sitting there. But I'd be checking in every so often. Oh yeah, still still no racing. Come back half an hour. Yeah, still no racing. Yada yada yada. But you sat there and watched it. That is definitely hardcore, mate. Well, that's off to you. I'm glad I didn't have to do a live blog for it, eh, Sam? So. Oh, that, yeah, that that <laughs> filling filling almost four hours of time trying to write write things. Great fun. Um. I've had better days now. The Canadian race that you mentioned there, I play in a brass band and I watched the beginning of that, went and did a gig, came back home and I got 
they'd just started the second bit. So I hadn't actually <laughs> missed any of the race. It was brilliant. That's perfect timing for me. And yeah, that is one of my favourite races of all time as well, because I am unashamedly a Jensen Button fan. So uh, yes, that, that was good. And in answer to your cups of tea, I don't drink tea. So none, <sighs> none. I'm boring. Really bring it down. One. Yeah. You and you've got to bring this number up a bit. I was on the squash. Oh my goodness. I was it's the only day I've ever been healthy. I was drinking squash. I think I had a bit of fruit. So um yeah. It's usually it's usually fizzy drinking chocolate, but um I thought <laughs> I think water was on my mind from all the rain. I thought, oh that's a squash now. So so I had more so cups, of, cups tea. of tea. Did you? Go on. Yeah, go on, Ollie. I, I had more cups of tea cups than of tea. anybody else. I had two cups of tea and I watched the whole rain delay. I was not expecting this at all from the, from from this at all. Not at all. I'm I'm shocked. Absolutely shocked. <laughs> um well, I think uh, I think you and needs to lay off the fruit and all the healthiness of that <laughs> dress sense is what comes with it. Um, and I think we should uh, leave it there as we get ready for the Dutch Grand Prix coming up, which means we'll be back in about a week's time to break down hopefully what will be a lot of action from a Sunday rather than talking about all the uh, the fun and frolics of a Saturday qualifying at Spa and then the race that wasn't ever a race. But in the meantime, you can get on to at GPFansGlobal on Twitter and Instagram to follow Sam, Ewan and Ian uh, with all the work that they do across all of our platforms. Get onto the YouTube channel as well and hit the subscribe button as we bring you regular updates on the world of Formula One and of course get on to Anchor.fm our host Spotify and anywhere else that you find your podcast to listen subscribe and rate and review the show as well and we'll be back in about seven days time or so until then take care